gets off the stage and the room clears out and he had a, a nice big audience room clears out. And I hear someone say, oh, funny how he left daddy's money out of the picture. And this tag, like I feel the heat rising in me because anything I've ever achieved in my entire life ever, even being a son's dancer was attributed to daddy's money. Welcome to the More Than Corporate Podcast. I'm Amber Furman, recovering perfectionist and serial accomplisher. If you're anything like I used to be, you've been living your life thinking that if you accomplish enough stuff, you'll finally find the success you've always wanted. But what if it's not about accomplishing more stuff? What if it's about accomplishing the right stuff? I believe you don't find success. You create it by intentionally designing the life you want and having the courage to get out of your comfort zone to live your design. I went from doing what I was supposed to do to doing what I love to do, and now I get to help others do the same. Keep listening as I chat with inspiring people who make it their mission to live their best life every day and learn how you too can live the life you've always wanted. Welcome back to another episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. I cannot put into words how freaking excited I am for the guest that I have for you today. Her and I, I feel like when you meet people and you just know that they were meant to be a part of your life, this is the, how I feel about B and Dream. B and I connected at PodFest this last year. And from the moment that we were introduced, it was just pure energetic. We're on the same wavelength as far as what's important to us. And I'm so excited for her to share so much of her journey and her passion and her projects with you, because I know that you are going to take as much value from them as I have. So who are we going to be talking to today? B is absolutely no stranger to walking through life unfulfilled. You starting to understand why we connected. She found early success as the co-founder of her oil and gas company, and she simultaneously carried out a career as a professional NBA dancer for the Phoenix Suns. In a single day, she would leave her work boots at the door, change into a cheer uniform, and despite being successful in business and her creative career in dance, she really felt stuck, and she was grasping onto this self-talk that was holding her back from all of her pursuits. That self-talk, it was the tags that she wore both on the inside and on the out. Um, similar to, and I say on the out, because if you're watching this on the YouTube channel, you will see she literally wears her tags on the outside, which I love so much. Um, similar to the nagging labels sewn into your clothing, it's an uncomfortable scratch that you just can't itch until you tear it out. She was fulfilling a script written by somebody else, a path I know all too well, her path was influenced by societal norms and expectations that were not hers to hold on to. So she began her next chapter, the work of tear out the tags, the inner work that helped her remove the labels that were holding her back, reframe her, her negative self-talk and define her own passions and forge a path that for the first time was hers. In this pursuit, B furthered her education and the EMBLDN label was born. Um, the label is a community led by B that gives others the courage and confidence to face that inner dialogue, tear out their own tags and move them from dreamers to doers. Are you starting to understand why I think she's one of the most fantastic humans on the planet? Before we jump into this conversation with Bean, I just want to remind you that this episode is brought to you by Success Development Solutions. If you are somebody who has been throwing stuff in your bullshit box for the last however many decades you've been alive, I want to have a conversation with you because my bullshit box was overflowing. I'm not good enough. I can't. I shouldn't. Should. I hate that word. I'm supposed to. Whatever stories I was telling myself went in the bullshit box of why I couldn't be exactly who I wanted to be. And I want to help you break that bullshit box and actually become the person that you should be. So if this is something that um, resonates with you, if that idea of being something for somebody else or of not reaching your potential because you're so worried about what other people are thinking, then let me help you take a hammer to your bullshit box and break into the person that you were supposed to become. Send me a DM on Instagram and let's connect and find out how we can have you living a life that you love. And without further ado, let's jump into this conversation with B. 
Oh my gosh, we I'm so excited to have you here. I'm I'm so excited. I'm sitting on over here like just so pumped to have another conversation with you. Oh my gosh, me too. And so it's interesting because I have a speaking engagement right after this. I had told you um, when we were setting this up that I was going to have a hard stop. And I was like, how am I going to set myself up? Like every time I have a speaking engagement, I have like my anchor songs that I play, right? And I get myself all in that state. And I'm like, I don't even need to worry about it. I have a conversation with B today. <laughs> it's going to be everything that I need and I'll be good to go. So yeah. You're serving multiple purposes today, and I thank you for it. Oh, I'm happy to. I'm happy, happy, happy to. And I have to show you this since you brought I'm up so the excited. bullshit box. So all of my negative labels, people think you should burn them or you know throw them in the garbage or whatever, but I've always felt like collecting them shows me just what I've removed and all of like, this is my bullshit box. I didn't even Love know it. I had one. So now I See? can claim that I have one. And you do. this gets emptied far too regularly too, because it gets full fast. Um, so yeah, I'm just giving oh. you a shout out on your bullshit box. I love it. You know what I love so much about this? So the bullshit box is a new thing for me. I was talking to somebody the other day and they're like, how come you went from being an attorney to being a coach? And I said, because my bullshit box overflowed and I had a mental break breakdown. And I was like, holy bullshit box. Like that needs to be a thing. Yeah. Um, so, and what I've known, and we're going to dig into this a little bit with your story. What I've learned is that the moment that you give a voice to that thought that you're feeling in your head, it disappears. And so if you can write it down and put it in this enclosed container where it gets to live out the rest of its days without being able to infiltrate your thoughts and your heart and your soul, then you can move on. So that's what I love so much about what you've done with, with your actual physical bullshit box. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and the truth is when we remove those things, they will come back if we allow them to. So a lot of us are committed to those negatives in our life because it's who we've always been. It's who we've always known ourselves to be. And it's also who oftentimes our families believe we are um, because the people we love, they take a snapshot of our the entire time they've known us. Well, say you were a butthole in high school, <laughs> that that can live with you for a really long time. And I, I have so many clients that are pulling off old labels that, from childhood, but it is who they believe they are. And it's who others believe they are. And the most difficult time in our lives is that transition time where we're really learning to show up in a new and different way. Yeah. I love that you mentioned that because the other side of that too, is that our, who we are. So our identities obviously become a part of everybody around us, right? So we build our identity and the people that are around us become a part of that identity. So whenever we start to grow and flourish and change and break out of the, the chains that we've built for ourselves, we, by definition, challenge the identity of the family members around us. And oh. then they are like, holding on to us going, but wait a minute, in my head and in my world and in my identity, you're the fuck up, right? Mm -hmm. So if that's not you anymore, then what am I? And how do I get that change in my identity to figure out who I am? And I think people all too often take the thoughts and mentality of a family member as gold because they know them bust. So they must love them and support them and know what they're capable of. Yeah. So I have a funny story about that. I have a family member who is um, also a business partner and we have had a relationship filled with tension. We get along fine, but we're not best friends. And my entire career um, and remember, this is a family member. So there's, there's more years than just our careers together. But during my whole career, I was referred to as drama. Um, a lot of the female roles uh, or female, you know, labels that were given, um, emotional, sensitive, um, dramatic was a big one. Uh, drama queen was one. And just, you know, it was constantly kind of dismissed if I had a concern or an issue. It was just... Um, I was just always dismissed basically. Um, and we brought in an outside coach and did an assessment on our group. And this particular assessment was a normative assessment. So it was really testing us to our core personality traits. And what we found in that session is that I was, um, higher objectivity than my counterpart. So he was in the really small percentage of the U.S. working population that is more feeling-based. And what I realized in that moment was in his manhood, he was having to lash out and 
project all kinds of negative labels on me because he really was having a hard time controlling his heart centered thinking. Mm. And so I became then the baby or the emotional drama queen or whatever it was that he needed me to be so that he could kind of stand above me. And that one moment changed my career. It changed my life. It changed how I saw myself in both my um, career setting and also my family unit. Um, and it was such a gift. It was such a moment of like, oh my gosh, like that's so true. I'm not a really, you know, I, I am heart centered, but I'm also very logical and I sit really nicely in between those two things. Um, but I don't know how long I would have received those labels had I not had that aha moment and somebody really kind of affirming that in me also. Um, because I think sometimes we can fight those negative narratives and those negative labels. But if we have someone we love that's continuing to attach them to us, we do tend to lean that direction where we will begin to believe them. Yeah, I 100% agree with you. Before we go into more of your story and how you got to this amazingly wonderful human being that you are now, <laughs> I want to um, talk about your label um, for a, just a minute, your um, clothing line. I'm sorry. Mm -hmm. um, because I think that it puts so much perspective into your story and makes everything make sense if we talk about that first. And if you are watching this live from the community or watching it later on YouTube, um, I love that you're actually wearing your labels on the outside. So can you talk about what labels are, what your clothing line is, how this all kind of came about before we get into your story of your maybe labels that you've been able to overcome? Absolutely. So um, I started leasing office space for my role in my family company. Uh, gosh, it was too, probably late 2017. And I, um, I was leasing space from an executive coach and corporate development company, which at the time I didn't know what that was. So I had always worked in a family business. And so we do things a little bit differently. I would say, um, as far as corporate is concerned, we're, we are about as opposite as can be. We don't do formal labels, uh, which is funny considering my content. Um, <laughs> but I started leasing this office space and I would just, I was just beginning to have more and more interactions with this husband and wife team. And the husband was in the office more often. His name's Ed Beard. And he would just kind of ask me questions and I didn't understand at the time, but he was really coaching me. Uh, you know, I'd never had a coach. I'd never been coached and he was really investing time into me without me realizing that he saw something that I couldn't see in myself. And at the time I was really struggling inside of a family business. I was um, active in a lot of different roles that aren't necessarily things that I would go signing up for. I joke that I was the chief of everything no one else wanted to do. So, you know, if somebody had something that they didn't want to process at work, it ended up on my desk. Um, and for years, I mean, I was happy to do that. And I would say that I didn't feel like I was missing anything. However, um, I was a single mom going through a really high conflict divorce and high conflict co-parenting situation. And life just felt really hard. And at that time, I quite literally couldn't see a way out of the conflict and of that identity, really. I mean, that was just kind of what I thought my life was going to be from then on. And so Ed and his wife, Janet, they were developing me and teaching me and, and just including me in some of their business practices. And they invited me to co-facilitate a training program for a group of vice presidents at one of the largest corporations in America. Now, I don't come from corporate, so I, I knew how exciting this was. And I knew that it could be a moment that might change my life, but I don't think I really understood what I was signing up for. So we were flying to Los Angeles. I needed to own a business suit or wear a business suit. And so I went in my closet and I had this old suit jacket and it had a price tag on the outside. It was $29 when I was in college. So we're talking 12, 13 years later and I slide it on and it fits and I'm like, okay, this will work not thinking about how that value tag would end up coming up mm. as like this monster later on. So I get to LA, I put on that business suit and I'm getting ready to leave for this life-changing opportunity. And I pull up to this corporate campus and 
I mean, I went to ASU, so that's like the only thing that I can relate it to is this massive campus, very intimidating. Parking was intimate. I mean, everything, right? Like there were rules of where I needed to go and walk and which security entrance to go into and the whole thing. So I badge through security and I'm being escorted to the executive elevator and I feel eyes on me like that pressure starts to build. Clearly, there are only certain people allowed on the ex executive elevator that goes to this one floor where only the executives can go. And so I'm starting to realize really what I've signed up for. And I get in that elevator and it's this gorgeous wood, you know, I mean, just beautiful elevator. And I turn around and I feel this scratch on the back of my neck. And, you know, I'm in this elevator with all these important people and all these expensive business suits. And I'm standing there in a $29 express suit jacket, just feeling like a total rookie, right? Like, and in that moment, all of the negatives start pouring in. You're not good enough. They're going to laugh you out of the room. You are uneducated. They're going to see that you are not prepared for this. They're going to eat you alive. Um, you're too young. You name it, it was there. And by the time I reached this floor of this huge corporate campus, I had obliterated my self-worth. Um, and I just remember feeling like I was, I was surely going to fail. Like I wasn't made for this. I wasn't prepared for this. There is nothing inside of me that, that is deserving of this. And I, I always tell people like, luckily I had two mentors that believed in me until I, I had a chance to catch up because they wouldn't have let me fail. And it was a, a wonderful day and it was life changing. And then when I rode that same elevator back down, I realized, oh my gosh, like how many more negative labels are sitting inside of me that I need to address because I can't change my life. I can't, you know, step into this new identity without realizing like how much I attack myself on a daily basis with just these negative, this negative inner dialogue. Um, and that's what prompted me to create tear out the tags. And then uh, my clothing line Embolden label, we created shirts that have screen printed labels inside of them. However, they also have a positive affirming word instead of a size. So you, there are um, like symbols, there's a way to tell what the traditional size is. However, um, like our larges are called limitless. And so it's just that daily reminder for anyone of any size of any internal or external belief system that they can be that label that they've always dreamed of being. They don't have to carry around mm -hmm. and shoulder that those negatives. So this is one of the many things I love about you so much because I look at you and I think of the conversations that you and I have. I, I went back and forth between have and had. Um, so that's why that came out all weird. Um, <laughs> look at the conversations that you and I have had. And I think back to PodFest. I was just talking to Andrew from PodFest today. And I was telling him that like some of my favorite parts of PodFest had nothing to do with PodFest and everything to do with the conversations that we had, right? Mm -hmm. And then this conversation about, you know, you questioning your self-worth and me knowing you and wondering how it's possible that anybody that amazing can question whether or not they bring value to the world, but knowing it's possible because I've done it too. Mm -hmm. And realizing that you've created this place where everybody can take all of those things that either they've been told or those labels they've given themselves and that identity that they've surrounded around that label and give them permission to rip that out of their heart and soul. Like it's so much more than just ripping it out of a shirt. And that physical feeling of permission to remove a label from your identity is something that few people can give a representation to the way that you do. Yeah. You know, one thing that I I hesitate to share on podcasts because I feel like I won't get clients because I'm, <laughs> this is a this is something I like to surprise my clients with. Um, but when I have a new client and they're in a season of struggle, 
And they're just sort of in that place of spewing all of these things they're walking through and all of these broken belief systems. And, you know, sometimes it can be that they have a boss who's really put them down for a long time. And so when they start their business, they're they're bullying themselves the way that their former boss used to in a number of other situations. And what I'll do is I'll pull my tags out and I'll I'll sit here and I just start writing. And then both my client and I use a tagging gun, a retail tagging gun to attach these labels to the same shirt that I'm wearing. And then they get done and they really have to look at the gravity, like the weight of what they're wearing and how it feels to have it all attached to them. And then about the time that they're realizing that I go, all right, grab your shoes, grab your purse, let's go. And the, the, the emotions that come over someone when they realize that not only are they, are they wearing all this hard stuff, but now I'm going to take them out into the world <laughs> in public. Um, I just did this with a client last week and I, she was so sweet. I said, do you want to go to lunch or do you want to go shopping? And her eyes got really big and she goes, I guess lunch. And inside me, I was like, oh my gosh, I'm not going to lunch. Like, you know, like she almost challenged me to go, gosh, that would be uncomfortable for a longer period of time. And we ended up just going to a local convenience store, but it's really the, I think the thing that so many people are missing is that they, it's easy to sit with all of this on the inside of us because we really only have to be honest with ourselves about the really hard stuff that really need to be addressed. But until someone else sees it and reads it, it's, it's, you're not going to be as motivated to pull it off. You will be more committed to carrying it around. Um, Like I guarantee you right now, if you ask me to read one of these, it will be very, it would be very challenging for me. And you're welcome to. I mean, I think that this is the beauty of the labels, right? Is that they're ours. Here's the reason I won't ask you to read them. And it's because number one, you shouldn't have to give a voice to them. And number two, they are ours to wear on the outside so that we can realize that they are bullshit. And um, I love everything that you just said about taking people out into the world because it's easier. I, I'm not going to take away all of it. It's easier to be authentic and vulnerable in a conversation with somebody that you know is also authentic and vulnerable. It's a much different conversation to be authentic, vulnerable, and honest about what you're feeling on a street corner where you don't know who's going to walk past you and what they're going to think. And I think that's where true growth and change comes from. You know, it's funny. So I agree with that for the most part. And there's a part of me that believes wholeheartedly that we have to be able to fill in the gaps on the negative labels that we have worn in our past. So when we were at PodFest, we watched a dear friend get on stage. He is a incredibly handsome oh, I'm getting man. Yeah, I know. We <gasps> had such a good time. But we watched a great friend take the stage. He's incredibly well-dressed. He's good looking. He's a great husband. Like he's just a, an amazing human and he's very wildly successful. And he gets up and he, and he gives this speech and, and, you know, as, as you do, when you're standing on stage, you tell your story of your successes. Like that was what he was hired to do. And so he shares his real estate investments and the company that he created. And, and, you know, he's, he's there to inspire all of these amazing people. And he's young. He's really young. I don't know how young, but he's young or he has a really good skincare regimen. Regardless, he looks young. <laughs> and so anyway, he gets off the stage and the room clears out and he had a, a nice big audience. Room clears out. And I hear someone say, oh, funny how he left daddy's money out of the picture. And this tag, like I feel the heat rising in me because anything I've ever achieved in my entire life, ever, even being a son's dancer, was attributed to daddy's money, was attributed to being in a family business or a family system where wealth was transferred to me. And it's interesting because that's not the reality. However, I've had that assumption made about me so many times, and it hasn't been until I can fill in the gaps on something that I've been able to say, like, it's almost like you're protecting a tag that has been torn mm-hmm. out so that you aren't tempted to attach it again. So the absolute 
hardest label that I have on me right now to share is sex toy. Mm-hmm. And for those in business, they're shaking their heads like, whoa, that just got weird, right? Like they were not expecting that, you know, that tag. You're probably expecting something very different. But I was exposed to pornography at the age of six. And that exposure and me sort of studying what a female would be used for or what a female role would be in relationships was actually the root of what was holding me back the most in my business. Because at at 35, 36 years old, I believed wholeheartedly that I would have no worth without a man being the center of my success. Now, funny story, when you add in the family business piece, my dad was always given that credit of my success, even though I earned my own keep for many, I mean, I've always been self, a self-supporting single mom. But those two things were kind of intertwined in a weird way. And so I would be triggered so fast with anything of that nature, like any um, anything that somebody would say like that, like what we, what we heard at PodFest. And that's when you know, if you feel heat rise inside of you, or you feel shame, or you feel yourself shrinking, that's when you know, okay, there's a tag that needs to be addressed inside of me and needs to be torn out. Um, Because Mm -hmm. usually they don't belong to you, right? Like that me being exposed to pornography at the age of six wasn't my fault. It, It wasn't something I signed up for. It was something that it, you know, it, it was an accident. It was a, a tragedy, really. I think that we live in a world where social media, mainstream TV, um, things that we consume convince us that family handing down mass opportunities is more beneficial to than it should be to people who haven't earned it. When in reality, what we experience is that people are successful and have built this business. And the last thing that they want to do is give it to a child who's going to burn it to the ground. Oh, for sure. So why, while people who have never been there will say, oh, it must be daddy's money. It must have been this. It must have been that. And then you own that tag that, like you said, was not yours. In all reality, you likely had to fight for the opportunity to have that spot to prove that you would be able to carry it. Is that fair to say? Oh, I think every family system and family business is different in that way. And I think what gives us that societal judgment are is shows like the Kardashians. Um, and that's probably not the best example. Of, I don't watch TV, so you'll have to excuse my my media knowledge. But, you know, I think it's the shows where there's rows and rows and rows of designer purses in, you know, Paris Hilton's closet that that make people look at you when you're in a family system and think that you were just handed everything. Um, one thing that I really struggle with still in my family business system is that my mother was a major driving force. So my dad was laid off in the eighties during the big oil crash from a a larger company. And he started just repairing parts that, you know, that he was young. So he started just repairing parts and he could repair two or three parts that month and, and he could feed his family. And that was what the beginning of our company was, like true grassroots, blue collar, hard work. And my mom was really a, the driving force of coming in and, and structuring the business and, you know, pushing the growth. And um, I mean, they were just an amazing team. But being that oil and gas is such a male dominant industry, my dad has always been handed the accolades. And my mom has always kind of sat in the back and been the, the quiet, the quiet force behind everything. And I really struggled with that in my life because it it always felt to me like I had no value, not from a family system standpoint, but from a societal judgment standpoint. Um, So when you say, you know, B is, is not a stranger to feeling unfulfilled. I just remember kind of becoming that people pleaser in, in, from top to bottom in my life where I, I just took on whatever needed to be handled. And, um, 
you know, nobody was patting me on the back. Nobody was appreciating anything I was doing. Um, and I think in some ways when you're a people pleaser, you almost want it to be that way, you know, mm -hmm. and then that resentment starts to grow, even though you haven't asked for the raise or the affirmation yeah. or the role change or, you know, ownership in your company or whatever it may be that, that the audience feels like they're lacking. Um, I see that with a lot of my clients that folks that are blocked out with all these negative labels, they, they don't feel empowered to ask for the thing they really want because they don't think they deserve it. And that's, um, I mentioned the label sex toy, you know, I repeatedly allowed myself to be in relationships with men who objectified me because that was what I believed my role was supposed to be in, in my life. And so I didn't, didn't even know I was doing it. You know, my mom would always joke that I had a broken, um, picker. I'll leave it at picker. <laughs> she has a funny word she puts before that, but, um, you know, I would rack my brain, rack my brain. Like, what am I doing? Why am I, you know, why am I so attracted to these bad people? Um, and I finally realized that at the root of it was this, you know, this negative tag of, that was surrounding my self-worth. So, you know, I tell people that my self-worth was a size zero because, mm. You know, I grew up the shape of a woman who gets um, sexualized in, in pretty much every area of life. And then I, I went on to be an MBA dancer, which heightened that, as you can imagine. So, yeah, I just for years felt like nobody could see past the the external image or the Do shape of. Yeah. Yeah. I, so I have two things. First of all, I am so impressed that you could make it through that story without laughing at what your mom calls these um, things. Cause I'm still laughing in my head. Um, your, your, your picker abilities. Yeah. Um, do you think that this background number one had a lot to do with why you felt the need to become an MBA dancer. And then the second part of that question is, do you regret that part of your life in any way, or do you wish it had been different in any way? I wrestle with this. Um, I'm writing my book right now and it, I wrestle with this. I have a daughter and people ask me like, would you let your daughter be an MBA dancer? And part of me is like, hell yeah. Like it was one of the most exciting times of my life. I got to do such cool things. And I got to meet fascinating people and I got to, um, you know, be in community with really talented, intelligent women. And I can also say that it's one of the times in my life that probably did the most damage. Um, one thing that I'm sure about at this stage in my life is that I led my life pretty wholeheartedly with connection and discovery as my two core values. Mm. So, if I wasn't learning something new or getting to meet a fascinating stranger, then I wasn't interested. And that has led me into some of the most fascinating places of my life, like meeting you. I mean, it is like I got to meet a sister, like a long lost sister when I met you. And had I not been brave enough to step into public speaking and then the world shut down and I turn into a podcaster, then I wouldn't have been at PodFest and I wouldn't know Amber. And that's how I've always looked at my life is like these, these accidental aha moments, they change you forever. And it, it's such a gift to be able to live a life like that. However, I did that for so long without intention or boundaries. Mm -hmm. So I've been really quiet on social media. This is actually my first podcast interview I've done in a long time. And the reason is last year was a huge boundary building year for me. I had to block probably upwards of 40 people who were just violating my value. I mean, they would just make comments. Some of them were men. Some of them were women. Um, I could quite literally shock you with some of the messages I've received. Um, and, and really down to like, I have a, a girlfriend from college who recently said, your life is a mess. And I, I just kind of looked at her dumbfounded, like my life has never been more joyful. It's never been more, um, like it's messy and it's, and I'm comfortable in it. Does that make sense? Like, yeah, I'm just the happiest and most resilient I've ever been. And I have mitigated so much conflict and, um, I just, I kind of just was shocked to be quite honest. And I thought to myself, like, 
who is the person who's giving me this feedback? Is, is this someone that I think has their life together? No, no, not at all. It's not someone I would model my life after. And so I, I really had to look at like, who has access to me? Um, and I know mm. you and I had a conversation at PodFest about someone in particular that had um, there, too much access and too yeah. much access. Yes. And they will use like um, the, the hard part about what we do is we share a lot of vulnerable moments. And I've really realized in this industry that there are plenty of people that will use like your hardest moments and your your most significant truths against you in a very weaponizing way. So yeah. that's been, been a big part of my journey this last year. Yeah. I love the intention and the boundary part of thing, because I think what's really cool is let's assume that that is the route that your daughter wanted to take. She gets to take whatever route she's going to take with the intention of knowing that her self-worth isn't tied to that because of the lessons that you've learned and you're able to teach her. Right. And I think that that's incredibly beautiful is that you, she gets to go out into the world knowing that no matter what she looks like, no matter um, what she weighs, no matter what the outer societal belief is about her um, qualities and potential, that she gets to decide her worth and she gets to set the boundaries and she gets to do everything with intention. And that is going to set her up for a life that you and I wish we had when we were in our 20s. I, I do think they're doing a better job too of, of allowing the children of, of today to speak into how they feel about things. Mm -hmm. um, one thing, one gift that I've received in doing this content and starting my brand is that I've been able to see in my daughter a wisdom that an, a nine-year-old shouldn't have by, right, by societal accounts. She yeah. shouldn't be so wise and so emotionally intelligent. And there are times she says things and I'm just in awe of her. Like I see a gift in her that I know is my responsibility to cultivate and steer her in the right direction and also allow her to mess up, right? Like yeah. allow her to have, um, she's building that. She's going to be kind of crafting it and it's hers. It's not mine. It's, it's very different than anything I've experienced. Um, but I see it and I recognize it and we talk about it quite often. You know, one thing I struggle with, with like the NBA dancer or, you know, really any female sport in general is how everything seems like it's sexualized in today's world. And, um, so in both 2020 and 2021, I auditioned for the Dem Denver Bronco cheerleaders. And for me, it was, I let go of my dance career at a pretty young age to get married and have kids. And when I look back, I really see how I chose partnership and relationship and love over my goals. And at that time, I didn't even think I had goals. I didn't even think I had a reason to chase, you know, a career in media or, you know, anything of that nature. And I don't necessarily have regrets, but I do look back and think, you know, I wonder what if, what if I had stayed on mm -hmm. that path? And so I, I auditioned for the, this NFL dance team because I, I wanted to see if I still had it. I wanted to see what it felt like um, after all the growth and all the counseling and all the coaching that I've been through. And it was such a beautiful lesson. It was such an interesting, like I pulled so much out of that. Um, and, you know, I had to face a lot of negative labels to get through it. And you would not imagine the amount of criticism that I received going from someone who works in personal development, who sits in a t-shirt with tags on it, with headphones on behind a microphone. And now all of a sudden I'm back in this half top. I'm working out like a crazy person. I have the spray tan and the lashes. Like I'm glammed out, right? I'm dressed for that performance. I was told that my face wasn't relatable. I was told that um, what I was doing was inappropriate, that I was too old to be doing what I was doing. I was told that um, men in a networking group that I was a part of were unfollowing me because it was upsetting their wives so much and a number of other things. And the, the truth is like some of that was when I, when I reflect onto that, I think to myself, like 
I can, I can kind of understand parts of that um, because it isn't re really relatable. Like um, it's a performance. It's not supposed to be relatable. It's, it's, you know, something that you're a part of that you don't, um, you don't have a choice. Like if you want to do X, then you have to look like Y mm -hmm. and perform like Z. And there are so many things like that for, for young women that if they want this opportunity, then they have to kind of play that game. And that's, I think my biggest hesitation, um, encouraging my daughter to do something like that. You know, I recently was sharing with a friend that we had to sign ironclad contracts that we wouldn't fraternize with the players or coaches on our teams. And when you think about how that feels devaluing when you're yes. just there for a career opportunity and you're just there to dance after high school, or you're just there to, um, to get to say, like, I got to dance on one of the biggest stages in, you know, pro sports. It's so it to this day, it's been one of those questions in my mind of like, I wonder if there's a man in this entire world who's ever signed a contract stating that they wouldn't fraternize with their female. I mean, I can't even say boss because we had really nothing to do <laughs> with that side of things. Um, I can so. imagine based upon what we know about most male sports um, and at least the one or two stories and sometimes more than that that have come out of it, that that is not the case. And it would be absurd to think that anybody would ever sign something like that from the male perspective, yet it's a um, given in the other side, which you're right, is a complete misnomer. It's so weird. Mm hmm and it's weird that it's just accepted, right? Um, I had a conversation with somebody just recently, and you and I had a conversation similar to this in PodFest, where we were talking about that um, societal, sexual-based um, perception of who we should be or what we should be become. And I had shared with you that there were parts of my life where I felt like I was unwanted or mm -hmm. not pretty or undateable or um, nobody wanted to hear my opinions or wouldn't listen to me or wouldn't trust me because of the way that I looked because I've always struggled with my weight. And I remember you sharing with me, man, that's so funny because I always wonder if people are listening to me because of the way that I look. And I thought there's there's always another side of the coin that we don't think of when we think it must be so much better to be that other person, right? Yeah. And that was one of the most eye-opening conversations for me to think, what would it be like to live in a world where you thought that the only reason somebody cared about what you thought was because they thought you were pretty? And that's the world you're describing. You know, for a long time, people have pushed me into a female-only audience. And I get that assumption all the time, like, oh, you talk to women, oh, you talk to women. And I've gotten to the point where I'm, I'm probably closer than I've ever been to saying like, yes, I talk to women because women, we've been labeled in a different way than men have. And it's difficult to speak to both sides at the same time. However, men have to start caring about what women are going through. Men have to invest in the women in their lives and what they are being treated like. And women have to invest in how their men are being treated. And we have to start understanding the labels that each other are wearing. Because what I hear when you say that is women aren't being taken seriously and listened to in either camp. Mm -hmm. So you're either being seen through or seen past. And I know for most of my professional career, it has been such a struggle to be taken seriously. Regardless, I mean, I, I could show up in, you know, oiled up jeans and cowboy boots and no makeup on. It doesn't matter. It, it's mm -hmm. it's a, a little bit of a construct of how men believe that they can can treat us. And I don't think that they're even aware that they're doing it. You know, I think it's probably a part of their conditioning as well. So, yeah, no, I 100% agree with you. Um, and that leads me into the second conversation that you brought up earlier in this episode. Um, 
one of the taglines that I have used in the past and you used on this episode is, you know, have the life that you deserve, create the life that you deserve, ask for what you deserve. Mm -hmm. And I was talking to somebody about this and he's like, God, I hate when people say that. And he said, why? And he's like, there is so much entitlement in this, in this country. And like, I can't believe that anybody would think that they deserve anything. And I'm like, what kind of a world do you live in? And this person's a coach and mm. a very good friend of mine. And I love him. How do you think you're going to coach people through self-esteem, self-worth issues that we're talking about right now, where you wonder if you've ever been taken seriously, if you tell them they don't, that they shouldn't think that they deserve things, right? Because the other side of the conversation is going into a salary negotiation and right. believing you don't deserve anything. Going into a business contract where you're about to land the biggest sale you've ever had and believing you don't deserve it. Like there is this very big difference between the idea of entitlement and the idea of deserving something. But I feel like that negative connotation has been, has been just ingrained into us from a societal point of view from people who either number one, want to keep us small or number two, believe that they never deserved what they got and they're thankful to have it. And so I was wondering if you could tell me how with your clients or through your life, you have walked that line of entitlement and deserving. In my experience, there are two types of people now hold on to that loosely because obviously there are a lot of different types of people, but there's the person who is, um, we could label these people empaths or perfectionists or people pleasers. Um, they're, they're going to tend to be those that, that will transfer energy. They will be affected. Um, sometimes even a, a person who struggles with resilience will, will tend to kind of let, let people knock them down or they'll, They'll stay down long enough where someone needs to come and pick them up and move them forward. Those are going to be the people that tend to stack these negative labels inside of them. So if those people go to start a business or those people go to apply for that next level corporate position, or even sometimes um, say you're a stay at home mom and you really want to leave, you know, leave that role and, and go out into the career field again and, and kind of chase your dreams again. Those are the people that it, it sort of doesn't matter what you teach them. If you don't teach them this section of pulling out these negatives or, you know, like putting things in the bullshit box or like teaching them how to really like take all that broken belief system and do something with it, they're going to struggle and they're going to struggle for years and years and years. Now, I believe that the, the other type of person out there is someone who tends to be very high resilient. They're, um, they're not affected so much by others. They brush, brush themselves off pretty quickly and move forward pretty quickly. Um, and those people really have this harsh mentality that um, we shouldn't be babying people or we shouldn't be handholding people that um, we shouldn't feel sorry for all these crybabies who live in their parents' basement. And it's interesting, like I just recently heard somebody making fun of a young kid who said he wanted to be a YouTuber. And he was, he was probably 12 and it was at a wedding and he was sitting at a table with adults holding himself with so much poise, for, you know, for a 12-year-old kid. Yeah. And he was being mocked and teased for wanting to be, a, you know, an influencer, essentially. And I sat there, I was actually at, a, at the table kind of behind him. And so I had kind of a bird's eye view of what was going on and had a really great, um, I have a superpower where I can hear other conversations better than mm -hmm. I can hear the one that's right in front of me. And I, I watched this kid just be crushed in spirit. Mm -hmm. I mean, I just watched notch by notch by notch, everything that was said. Um, and you know, the, the person in me that, has struggled with some of these things was thinking like he is wishing that he hadn't said anything. He is mm -hmm. regretting saying those words. He'll probably never say he wants to be a YouTuber ever again. And I, I let the, the season, like the moment pass. And then I walked over and I started asking him questions and it turned out that he 
from the time he was a little kid, he would tear apart electronics and figure out how they worked. And he um, wanted to teach young kids about, you know, mechanics of, uh, you know, or I guess it would be like technological things and how to get a microwave working again and how to do different things. But he had also built these incredible contraptions that were fascinating out of electronics, like old electronics that he would go to like Goodwill and find an old Walkman and he would take the electronics out and create something. And I was sitting there just like hanging on to every (laughs) word that he was saying. Of this 12 year old, right? Total fascination. Yeah. And I was thinking like, how different would that day have gone for him? Had those adults said to him like, um, well, do you know a lot about video equipment? Do yeah. you, what, what are you learning to be a, a YouTuber? Because the thing I think is so funny about how we shame this younger generation about all the tech stuff is that like, there's so much work <laughs> behind the scenes to what we do, right? Even if you're yeah. not on YouTube and you're not trying to be some big, huge influencer, the the amount of things that we have to know and master and the amount of software that we have to research and, uh, you know, our websites and our blogs and our, yes. our video channels and our social media and showing up on all the social media, like these adults should be leaning into the fact that they have knowledge that they could probably use to support this 12 year old mm-hmm. who has real dreams and visions of his life. And so that's, you know, I, I call him like a um, a protagonist and an antagonist. Like if you think of yourself as the hero of your story and you think of the antagonist coming against you and transferring these negative labels to you, just like you would see in like a Marvel movie. Yeah. That's, that's truly what it feels like if you're somebody who is affected by the voices of others in that way. And I love, I just watched a Brene Brown show where she said, oh, it's so, you know, it's funny when you have the thought and you're scared to say it and then you, you see her say it and you're like, Mm -hmm. yeah, even Brene Brown is saying it. Yeah. See, it's so true. But she did. She said, you know, this, this, this phrase, like, I don't care what anybody thinks of me is it's not true. We all have a care of what people think about us. And that's a lot of what we need to go through is addressing the issue, addressing what's holding us back, and then consciously tearing it out after feeling the weight of it on us. Yeah, I agree with you 100%. And I'm not a parent. And with that being said, doing what I do in the NLP world, I am incredibly sensitive to kids and the innocent comments that are made to children that land in their neurology and affect their entire future without people realizing it. And this is one of those moments where that could have been a completely different situation had you not gone in and said, hey, let's see if we can give some positive spin to this. I was just at a conference this last weekend and the person that was putting on the conference has a four or five-year-old son. And so much of what you're saying now was the opposite of this, which I was just enthralled with the way he interacted with his kid because we're in, he's got 50 entrepreneurs and business owners that paid a good amount of money to be there. And every moment it did, never failed, never failed. Every moment his son wanted to talk to him, he stopped his conversation and he Mm. had a conversation with his son. And do you think any of us gave a shit that he took 30 seconds to acknowledge his son? Mm-mm. Not at all. His son decided that he wanted to learn how to hula hoop and we stopped the conference and we all <laughs> learned how to hula hoop, right? Like it was amazing. And it was a proof in a way that this little boy is going to grow up believing that he can do and be whatever he wants to be. And he's going to be unapologetic for it. Yeah. Um, I remember asking the facilitator, like, do you, when you look at him, do you see like a future, do you, do you think about what he's going to be when he grows up? And he's like, I don't even know if he's going to graduate from high school before he takes over the world. <laughs> That's awesome. And I'm sitting here thinking like, good for you for saying like, and, and it sounds like if you just heard the conversation and you were like, good for you for saying that your kid shouldn't graduate from high school, you're like, what kind of parent are you? Right. Yeah. But when you look at 
everything and say, I don't know what your strengths are yet. I don't know who you're going to be or what you're going to become, but you are this four-year-old human or this five-year-old human or this 12-year-old human that gets to decide what your strengths are. Can you imagine the world we're going to have in 15, 20 years when those people grow up and they're making decisions? It's going to be incredible. So there's science, excuse me, there's science to suggest that we come into our gifting at around the age of 12. So around the age of 12, we start to begin to realize our potential and realize what we're really good at. And, And that, of course, leads to career goals and opportunities and success. And I want you to imagine for a moment the amount of emotional and mental abuse that you received from simple strangers Mm-hmm. In and some of this was just the way that you perceived certain things when yep. somebody talked about somebody. Like, say you wanted to be uh, an attorney, and you heard someone talk negatively about an attorney, that then changed your perception of that profession. As simple as that, because yeah. at that age you're so you're so susceptible, you're so open to that kind of criticism and that kind of like you're you're just trying to figure it all out. Imagine how much more quickly we could get to where you and I both are today if we just supported and loved and poured into people and also helped develop them. Because there are times that we have negative labels that are sitting in truth, right? My Some of the labels I shared today, there was some truth behind some of them, which is why they needed to be addressed and torn out. So yeah, the world would definitely be a better place. It would for sure. And when we were talking yesterday, I knew this was going to happen. I knew that I wanted to do a 17 hour podcast with you and that that wasn't going to be possible um, because we both have lives and responsibilities. So I want to be respectful of your time and give you an opportunity to um, share how people can reach you, how they can find your podcast and probably more, most importantly for them, how they can engage in the community that you're building to help people rip out these tags and own who they really are. Um, what's the best way for people to reach you and what's the status of the community you're building? So you can reach me at b at emboldenlabel.com. It's E-M-B-L-D-N label.com. Or you can follow me on Instagram at bandreen. Um, the community that I'm building is, is really to fill in the gaps. Like I just shared with you, I have realized I've been in tons of masterminds. I've been in tons of, um, business communities. I've been in personal development communities and there's one thing that's missing. Um, you know, I always say that therapy is about pulling up the past and really working through it. And coaching is about moving people forward, but there's this weird in between where we need to coach you out of the hard stuff. And you're not quite ready to be like thrust and pushed with like the aggressiveness of some of these, these masterminds. So there's this really special place in between where you have to really spend the time addressing the things that are holding you back. Why are you not being consistent on your podcast? Why are you afraid to write your book? Why are you nervous to ask your church if you can speak next weekend? Like, what is the thing? Why are you being your biggest bully? And so that's the community. Um, and it, it'll be launching here um, very soon. We've got the the sites all up and ready. So um, if people are interested in joining that, it's, it's definitely something we can connect on and I can point them in the right direction for that. Um, and really my goal is to have a graduation program. So you start in this tear out the tags community addressing these negative labels and then you then go into these masterminds where you're emboldened to not only do the things that you want to do but also to encourage others that are walking that same path as you or you know or a different path but they also need that encouragement Yeah, absolutely. I love that so much. We will put all of your contact information in the show notes so that people can reach out to you. It will definitely not be our last conversation. I'm super excited to continue to connect with you and to continue to share the amazingness that you do with um, Tear Out the Tags and your Embolden label. So B, thank you so much for coming on the show. It has been absolutely incredible to have you. And I am just so thankful that we connected and that I can call you a friend and um, my my sister that's not my sister. Amber, thank you so much. I just want to say too, like I have a video of you on my phone laughing with one of our, our other mutual friends. And I remember watching her in this video and the beauty 
of what, who she is and what she offers people, you see people in a way that is just not common. There's it's, it's extraordinary. And so I just want to thank you for being you and for really walking people through the hard change and for supporting people in, in each of these stages that they're, that they're coming out of or walking through because the gift that you have is like none other. Thank you. And you're not going to make me cry on my own show. (laughs) Sorry. We're going to stop recording. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the More Than Corporate podcast. If anything that was said during this episode resonated with you or provided value in any way, it would mean the world to me if you would head over to iTunes and leave a rating and review for the More Than Corporate podcast. Thank you so much for taking the time to do that. I'm really looking forward to connecting with you. If you'd also like to connect, I've created a Facebook group that is full of amazing people who also make it their mission to live their best life every single day. If that's sounds like something that you're interested in the name of that facebook group is success center head over there request to join and i look forward to connecting with you soon